everyone, welcome back to episode 3 of Unraveling Patriarchy, which is also the first episode in our new October issue, Hidden Gems of Pakistan. For those of you who may not have seen the theme on our Instagram feed, you can check out the details there and how to submit your pieces regardless of what they are. But just a little bit about it before we get into it. We're mainly looking at exploring stories, people, places that aren't really talked about in Pakistan. And yes, the most obvious thing really is travel and tourism. And a lot of people think about the northern areas when it comes to that. Which is funny because they're not very hidden anymore but I guess that's what comes to mind when you think of Pakistani travel but what we want to do here is go into the people that live in those areas their stories their generations folk tales that have been passed down so really like perspective always is about unheard stories of the people of Pakistan so taking that today with the podcast me and Zirak are going to be talking about fast fashion and how we need to focus on sustainable artisans and sustainable labor in Pakistan to make sure that we're actually breaking these class divides that have sort of come into place. When we think about like fast fashion in Pakistan, we either think of like, A, like the regular like fast fashion chains like Forever 21, H&M, stuff like that, which to be quite honest, don't really have as much of a retail presence in Pakistan, I feel, as opposed to like other places in the world. But I think one other way in which fast fashion also impacts our garment industry is they just buy truckloads of like the defected mall and then, you know, they sell it for like cheaper prices, which is essentially fast fashion. Like those are like rejects, not approved for like the most minor of details. Like, oh, eka like pocket zarasa chota tha, so like we're not going to sell it in stores. And they end up being sold bought and sold in flea markets that's the english word for it yeah and a lot of these garments that you see in like regular fast fashion stores are produced in countries like pakistan and bangladesh and nepal and places where those companies know that they can get cheap labor yeah i think that's a really interesting point and i think what really sort of makes you see the differences in particular is that whole debate that started with Beyonce's line where people were like this is everyone's queen bay and she's sort of like a global icon of empowerment you know championing women and all of that but I think someone sort of exposed how a lot of her work was coming from underpaid craftswomen in Bangladesh and then she was also called out for you know sending all these promos to celebrities and whatnot people were like why are you sending them to people who can already afford it? And this is like something that she launched on her own. This wasn't like a collaboration line or anything. Yeah. Right? This was like, yeah. Okay. This wow. Like there was this shirt from, I think, ASOS. Please don't come at me. It was a moment of weakness. It was a cute shirt. On the tag, it says made in Pakistan. So I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this knowing the amount of money that I paid for that shirt again I apologize I'm really sorry but knowing that the person that made that shirt probably isn't you know getting even 50% of what 
like the e-commerce website is getting. You and I both know that in a country with such great income disparity like Pakistan, having the ability to manufacture goods for international retail is something that no one sees. So in the media, they're not going to be like, oh, Pakistan, the country that has exclusive contracts with FIFA to supply them with footballs or has contracts with ASOS to provide them with their goods, they're going to be like, oh, Pakistan, the country where so-and-so percentage of people live in poverty. And then people get this impression that nothing that it essentially does will ever be up to par. But guess what? You're wearing our clothes, but you don't know it. Because no one's going to turn it at the back and read and say like, oh, made in Pakistan. They're just going to be like, oh, I got this from ASOS. Yeah, exactly. And I think the comparison you brought up is quite accurate. The way you said, you know, this is how people see our country. And we spoke a little bit about this in last week's podcast as well, in a different context, of course, about the way a lot of times vulnerable people are spoken about in passive terms. So when you say, yeah, they're living in poverty and you leave it at that, it's almost as if, one, they're choosing to live in poverty. So the onus is on them, you know, so you don't find anyone else to blame. But like, what we don't question is what are the systems that are keeping them in poverty? I saw a really interesting tweet by someone I really admire. I remember thinking this when I was seeing the tweet. I just don't remember who it was. Sorry, don't come at me. Um, And she said that, you know, we can attack sex workers and beggars all we want for, you know, clouding our image of like our perfect streets and everything and whatever they do. But in attacking them, we forget to attack the people that are keeping them in that system. And I think that goes the same with these crafts. And I think with fast fashion, it's interesting that immediately both of us started off talking about Nike and Beyonce and Zara and ASOS, you know. But I think I've been thinking about this. And the Pakistani fashion industry, you know, we have lawns coming out twice a year. And once the new collection is out, how dare you wear the old collection? And this is particularly in big cities like Karachi and Lahore. There's very few people who will, who I've seen in certain, especially in elite circles, who want to wear previous season key lawn, you know, or... Uh, is designer ka pichla design ye to pehle ye to purana design naya design dikha naya design dikha so when there is such a high demand for naya designs and with designers are always showcasing naya designs and then they sell them in such mass quantities we're changing the fashion industry every 3 months matlab abhi 2 saal pehle tak i was buying short lengths now everyone's like lambi fashion mein aa gayi and i'm just like but i have my clothes on they don't need to be changed right now. Like, they're all fine. They work fine. Should I just change them? People length change over your fashion. Because remember that one period of time where I forced myself to watch all of Shehrazad? Which, to people listening, I have opinions about that show, but we're not going to get into those. But there was, like, this one episode, and I remember texting you about it as well, where they want to show, like, the income disparity between like the main protagonist in the family played by Mara Khan and some of her like poorer relatives. So the the scene is that she goes to a cousin of hers wedding and they aren't as economically well off. The mother is a widow. And in the show, the mom is like talking about like how she got the wedding ready, uh, how she like prepared for the wedding and all of that. And she turns to Maya Khan and then she points to her daughter and she's like, isn't the pure panch hazar ka kharcha apne like shadi ke jode pe. Right. And Maya Khan has like a flashback to her own wedding where she spent something like, 
what like a Tara lock on her wedding dress, which is like complete extreme because I've never heard of a wedding dress co- like costing like a Tara lock. But like I remember texting you and I was like, because hey. like Maira Khan asked the mother, she was like, "Kya panch hazar mein shadi ka joda ban sakta hai?" The woman goes. classism that you know made it made that particular price so unbelievable for us and yeah because when we think of stuff like wedding jodas and all these things that are very in trend we can't imagine prices like that you know but god forbid we ever pay more than that for if we for example if we visit a gao or if we're going to like you know one of those craft markets we're not going to pay more than that yeah see one thing that i don't like is like bargaining culture in pakistan like i get that it's part of like you know just the way that things are done and it's part of like market culture and all of that right but if you're going to negotiate with someone that's just asking you for like 500 rupees when you've driven up to the market in your air conditioned gari then that's that's just a little crass in my opinion Yeah and then you know now we sort of seen this growing trend of some big names and similar designers coming up with like mainstreaming these artisans and these craftsmen uh you know and bringing them into their designs and like okay so these were made by crafts etc and uh, one that I came across that was really interesting was uh craft stories by Huma Adnan and she's a designer that works with the UNHRC actually so she says you know she takes up uh, refugees which in particular in pakistan are afghani refugees but you know she um she says she's worked with refugees from syria yemen rohingya uh, sudan um but and, and mostly these are women so this is different kinds of jewelry and you see different designs and all of that and i think that's great you know um but the problem with these systems that i sort of want to question i'm not questioning the intention of the people who are helping out i'm really not but in getting so many middlemen you know obviously when you're running a business you have so many costs you have marketing costs you have like having a store all of that 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 that's necessary there's nothing wrong with that who justifies whether these workers are getting a fair wage because that's what it comes down to doesn't it that's what keeps these workers despite their talent below a certain poverty line and that's where they stay because the system doesn't allow them to come up education unko milti nahi hai sahi you know there's a class difference in education as well which sort of we we think consider the great equalizer in many ways um but it's not because it's based on systems and hierarchies and what not and then then you have their skill and their merit which is also meant to make a difference but it doesn't because someone else is capitalizing on it so that's really what this issue is going to be about as well right um it's going to be about looking for those stories for example um i recently came across on twitter this ppp mna found uh this man who makes charpais and he makes these beautiful handmade charpais you know um and like he can sell them anywhere from like 2000 to i think even 30000 depending on how intricate the work is and everything but just by her sharing it 
he started getting coverage for from from Dawn from Tribune. I covered it for my work. Um, his Facebook page blew up all of a sudden. You had like Sama TV interviewing him and whatnot because someone of influence shared it, and that sort of tells you that doesn't that make it our responsibility to make sure these people are getting fair wages? So for someone who can afford it, going back to your point about bargaining, should we really be bargaining? Because we don't go to Elan and bargain. They'll kick us out of the store. You know, we don't go to these high-end fashion brands and bargain. It's a really big fashion brand. Sometimes, and I'm sure you must have noticed this as well, sometimes when you're online and you're at these... Uh, fast fashion websites you just get bombarded with all of this cultural imagery that you know they can make neither head nor tail of but they're just like oh this is pretty let's slap a print on this tank top and just sell it right like and and you see this a lot with more like indo-subcontinental prints like you know like our uh for example, the Ajrak motif, I've seen it so many times in so many fast fashion stores. And I'm pretty sure that none of these people designing these clothes are Sindhi. And I'm pretty sure that they have no idea what it means. I feel like you're erasing a great proportion of like culture and history that comes uh, with exploiting these people or exploiting artisans. Because you're, sorry, it's kind of a rant, but it's you're you're detaching them so much from what they're actual from. You're detaching them so much from their culture that you are mainstreaming that they don't get to make the connection. So, for example, there was this one Dior collection that completely ripped off uh, designs from like indigenous Romanian peoples. To the point where the people in those villages came out with a counter brand called uh, Bihor or Bior. I don't remember, but it's like a play on Dior. Um, but they sell sustainable versions of the traditional garments that Dior was copying. And their prices are obviously a lot higher because it's handmade. Um, and there is obviously like a lot of effort that goes into it because it's not just something that's like off the rack, you know. Um, but then compared to what Dior was charging for that original collection, those prices are still very much reasonable. And it's sort of like, like, I don't get it. And I think a lot of brands have come under fire for this. Like I remember Carolina Herrera at one point, she'd made a uh, entire collection about female, not matadors, I think it was horse riders in Spain or Mexico. I'm, I'm like getting the facts a little jumbled up, but she also exploited um, essentially their culture to the point that I think the cultural minister, yeah, it was Mexico. The cultural minister of Mexico then released a statement about it, being like, this isn't a way to honor our artisans. What you're doing is wrong. The fact that they released that statement also says something, you know, the, what they recognize. But what you're saying about, you know, these things being these these arts 
and these crafts being broken down into these bite-sized pieces. And what it says about us, the fact that we're more willing to pay for Dior's name brand than pay slightly less, but considerably, at a considerably expensive rate for someone's effort. The thing is, it's all, we can't be passive anymore. This is something that I've sort of just been on this like rant about in my house recently and I've been saying it in like all aspects of my life. But you cannot assume that the choice that you're making is due to the system. That's not enough anymore for for an, for grown women like us, for any adult. Um, for teenagers even, because honestly, I feel like 15, 14, 15 year olds, I think they honestly have access to enough information to still be educated to a certain extent, you know? Um, you can't say, oh, but we're buying it because everyone's buying it, so that's what you have to do. No, when you buy a bag from a brand that exploits its artisans five steps down the line, you are exploiting that artisan. That is one less meal for them that is on you. Not just one less meal, like five less meals. Like, let's be honest. Possibly five less meals. Yes, exactly. Um, And to be honest, that's the thing, right? We don't even know the extent of it because they're so hidden in the chain. Like, we don't even know how it impacts them. We know enough to know that it does. But I think a really big part of what I want and I hope for listeners to get out of this podcast is to start questioning these systems. You know, this isn't a lot about answers. It's about understanding where we have unjust structures within these systems and for you to question them and for you to make your decisions on what you want to do next, what choices you want to make next. And be vocal about it. Exactly. Like, for example, like not a lot of people know this or this they know this, they choose to ignore it. According to the Sindh government, if you hire uh, a domestic helper, legally you're supposed to pay them 15,000 Pakistani rupees per month. That is minimum wage. Yeah, that is the minimum wage. We have a minimum wage. That is legal minimum wage in the province of Sindh. People, people aren't paying. Like, n- no one is doing that. There's also a legal minimum age. No one is gonna, no one's paying attention to this, even though they are aware. We're not talking about like, like, let's be honest, the people that are able to hire domestic helpers have a certain level of income, which implies that they have a certain level of education to be able to achieve the position that would help them earn that income. And yet they refuse to even abide by the laws in their own country, but then they want to turn around and then blame that same country for not helping them. Exactly. When it's them that has made it impossible for that country to survive. And I'm not talking about like politicians or, you know, like uh, uh, people in like the assembly and stuff like that. I'm not talking about corrupt people. I'm talking about people who do things as little as not want to help another citizen. Yeah. Because we're still sort of trapped into this like, oh, but that's my job. So, so what? Yeah, these these class systems and these hierarchies have put, I think, perhaps some of the most talented people in our country, like real raw talent, at the absolute bottom of the food chain. And these are traditions that will die, Zidak. We are going to lose them. 
like to a very small extent you know my dad will say things like oh you should learn this recipe from your dadi because you know it's it's her recipe and it's so loved in the family and it's it's just going to die out like it's going it's going to go away if no one else learns it because obviously like she's at a point where she can't go into the kitchen anymore but so so, so someone needs to break it down but that's the thing there are regions and like full of all this talent where people don't even want to pass the talent down to their children because they're like what's the point no one is going to value you like my family is from chinyot and there is a whole generation of artisans that has just died out there because they're not valued anymore and like my my dad's fan, side of the family is like delhi wale and my mom's side of the family is hyderabadi and they're like both sides are like mohanjer even though i don't like using that word because like my parents were both born in pakistan they're not mohanjer they're pakistani but sometimes when i like talk to my friends who are like sindhi or punjabi right i i do feel that little bit of like oh part of my culture will always remain inaccessible to me because of borders so yeah. i can't go to my um ancestral home i can't go to my gaon i can't go to the city where my grandparents grew up and spent their entire childhood i can't even go visit like family graveyards in india because of politics and all of that so to see people actively disregarding like a person's identity is just it just makes you wonder about the thought process that they go through to want to be able to just like sideline um an entire way of life if that makes sense at all it's just capitalism really yeah cap- capitalism sucks guys it's the truth we already knew for years but no one wanted to admit it because we're always by- benefiting off of those same capitalist structures now before we turn this episode into another really sad one you know i yes. want to talk a little bit about some of the initiatives that i have come up with uh and discuss them with you a little bit to see you know whether these really are the right steps forward from a complete layman's point of view like zero can i aren't claiming to be experts on sustainability or fashion oh, or God, anything no. um this is just a really a citizen's point of view on what we could be doing better uh and you know i came across this uh, project called twilling tweeds which was basically started by uh Pakistani student in Scotland. Ah, oh. Asad, yeah, Asad Adil Iqbal. Um and he did this. He's a Scottish Pakistani born to immigrant parents. And he did this in 2010 because he wanted to he started studying embroideries from Chitral, which are absolutely beautiful for anyone who's seen them. Um and so he started researching on that and he started twilling tweeds. because he held workshops with female artisans and you know he started selling these crafts and all of that uh connecting textile workers with with communities who would buy their products so it was also a lot about like creating cultural awareness um and i think it's interesting that i came across this project in particular because you sort of see immigrants often more interested in bringing out their cultural heritage to other countries obviously it's also about access if you live in the uk you can have workshops in the uk and you can have exhibitions in the uk it's easier mm-hmm. but at the same time i think they do also value the loss of their culture more 
Yeah, because it's been because taken they're holding on to it away from them. Yeah, because it's Not something their parents have them, sacrificed. Yeah, it's a sacrifice, right? Their parents have sacrificed their culture and their comfort for their children to have better futures. Because mm-hmm. that's the way the world works. But then they value that more. Um, I mean, we talked about craft stories by Hamad Nan. There's so many other designers who do work with refugees, with craftswomen to hone their crafts. Um, so I'm not saying there's no good work going on in Pakistan. In fact, I think mm-hmm. uh, Pakistan is running the way it is running still because of its citizens. Because our system doesn't benefit anyone. Our system benefits the 1%. And I think we saw that more than ever um, during the Karachi floods where private citizens have to now pay suction, uh, pay companies to uh, suction water out of a literal underpass. I think, Zirak, we're having these conversations at a really key time. You know, we're just, uh, while we have come out of a lockdown, we're possibly seeing a second wave right now. Um, and the economy across the world has really been hit by the pandemic. You know, buying power has been severely reduced. We're going to see people who could previously afford all these exorbitant prices suddenly start thinking about whether they can anymore, you know. Um, And I'm talking about that because, this class in particular, because this is the one propagating that fast fashion industry. So I think now is the time to really start looking inwards and start looking at how our fashion industry can actually go on sustainably. Because let's be honest, you know, um, I'm not claiming that Pakistan is like the number one cause of climate change and exploitation of the earth services. You know, a lot of people try to put this on the global south. It's not. These are the very industrialized countries that are contributing to a very large percentage of what is happening. The problem is uh, countries like Pakistan will be the hardest hit. Because we don't have the means to make up for what we will lose. We rely on our water sources. If we lose our water, we will just run out of water. We don't have enough dams to store it. We don't have desalination facilities, um, at least not to the extent that we need to sustain our population. You know, a lot of our... um, And it's interesting that the shift is coming now and the fact that Western countries seem to blame the regions like the Southeast uh, and African countries and whatnot, because they are the ones that came in, aside from the fact that they colonized us and like ruled over us and thought it was for our good. Um, they are the ones that came in and said, oh, look, uh, we're going to give you uh, pesticides and GMOs and all these things, and you need to modernize. And now that we finally caught up with their modernization, tuta puta tarika se, by harming a lot of our populations just so we can possibly fit in with the global landscape. They're like, oh, they go, now you're not being sustainable anymore. When their idea of sustainability is also a very capitalist one. So you go to all these shops abroad, you know, and they all have like sustainable labels on it. My dad and I had a conversation. He's like, they've turned this into a business again. People are going to stop buying other stuff. They needed a new trend. So now every shop has sustainable written on it with exorbitant fashion tags. And going back to what I said again, how much of that money is going to artisans? If you're selling a Pakistani product in America with an exorbitant fashion tag, that's really not sustainable. Unless you have a very transparent chain in which that Pakistani artisan is really being showcased. What we need to start looking for, what we need to start highlighting are the people who are demanding change when no one else is. So I came across this platform, Visila, 
um and i'm hoping that we can uh, do a bigger feature on them later on in the issue as well so do do stay on the lookout for that but what they do is they have created a platform where they connect the artisan to the buyer so no like no brand name on it um no you know they're, they're featuring crafts by specific artisans within pakistan you know and then you had this brand called pop and j started by sabagul um i don't think it's active anymore uh but saba is still quite involved within this industry in general and it it was one of those things where you know she would sell bags and crafts by women and and by so it wasn't that she was hopping in on a trend rather it was like i am going to take this and i'm going to use my platform and the skills that i have and turn this into a trend a trend in the sense that oh look these are crafts that someone should really look into and and those are the kind of people we need to be looking at but anyway i think we're going to leave you guys with that uh we're going to i'm hoping that we're leaving you with a lot of questions about what you're buying where you're buying it from and where you can make a difference you know we obviously understand that a lot of what we've talked about is a lot of systematic injustices i mean that is the point of this podcast to a certain extent calling out those systems um but yes it's obviously not possible for one individual to change that overnight what i think we all can do is question our own involvement and our own choices within those systems um and see where for those of us in a position of privilege where we can use that privilege to actually start making a difference and actually start understanding who are the people that really need to be valued um especially within these changing times we're going to go ahead and see very different economic systems very different income brackets that we're not very used to um and things are really going to change and i think this sort of changing atmosphere is possibly the best time to bring this kind of change as well so yeah thank you guys so much for tuning in for anyone who's new perspective magazine is a community platform that aims to break down patriarchal structures and showcase unheard stories of women in marginalized communities in pakistan you can find us on instagram the perspective mag or twitter at perspective mags um you're more than welcome to reach out uh, my co-host zirak also runs a podcast called semi political banter uh so you should definitely check that out as well and if you have any questions or want to be involved in any of our projects please reach out we're always going to respond and we're very open to newcomers thank you guys so much for listening